So where are you now? You said you've got 50 properties being yes. managed under the service accommodation business. How many yes. of those do you own yourself? So we do have three deals from that as a service accommodations. It's ours, but the rest is everything is sourced and passed to investors and we just manage for them. So when, what made you then think, right, property? I've got no money. I've lost all this money. What I need to do now is build a big property portfolio. Yes. Yeah, because I wanted to build this property portfolio for a very long time. You'll find that it's similar stuff. I know this. I know that. I know I need to be doing that, but I'm yeah. just not doing it. Yeah. And it's that accountability. It's having that coach there, that mentor that is, quite frankly, going to kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> Kick your yeah. ass and go, what, how many calls have you made this week? How many landlords have you approached? How many property owners have you approached? Yeah. How many agents have you made offers to? Mm -hmm. I haven't done any. Ah, well, that's what you need to be doing. It's that requirement, that that, that understanding that... But I, might, I can maybe change people, but you cannot change Scottish people with their eating habits. You can't. <laughs> yeah. Today on The Engaging Marketeer, I am speaking to Vincent Havotka. Uh, I met Vincent at a Professional Speakers Association meeting, and he is heavily into property. When I say heavily into property, he doesn't own many properties. In fact, he owns three, but he manages 50, and those 50 properties actually turned over about 1.2 million in the last 12 months. Imagine owning just three properties yet still turning over 1.2 million from property. You can't do that with buy to let can you? So let's find out how Vincent's done that, what his story is, and how he's been so successful making so much money from property he doesn't even own. Um, so we, we, we met at a um, professional speakers association meeting, didn't we? Yes, that's right, yeah, yeah. We did, yeah. And, and what, what made you want to to speak professionally? What makes you want to, to do that? Sure. That's uh, a good question. So basically, I was or I'm coaching people in the property mindset and business startup at the moment. And I'm doing it for two and a half years now. And basically, it's good. I love to do one to one. But also, the thing is, I would like to impact more people at the same time. And, um, and it is like, you know, if you have 100 people on the stage, and you can tell them what you would say to someone one-to-one -one basis. So you save yourself time and also you can impact more people. So that's one of the main reasons I've been there because I want to learn more how to speak and become a better so I can impact more people. So you said you say that was do presentations from the stage? Yes. Have, have mm -hmm. you done those yet or is that something you're building towards? Yes, I've done. I've run uh, this year. I hosted six events and last year also six events. So I have some experience with speaking on stage. And uh, just recently regarding uh, the PSA, I've done my first showcase because I'm very new to this community. And uh, yeah, I had a pretty good feedback. So, uh, but it's always good to hear another speakers tell you some feedback so you can learn and progress. Yeah. Hmm. So for people listening that don't know what the PSA is and don't know what a showcase is, can you can you explain what that means when you did your first showcase? Yeah, so basically <clears throat> the PSA is an organization, as you mentioned at the beginning, like Professional Speaking Association, and it helps people who wants to become a speakers. And uh, it could be anything, public speaking or just even in a company you want to get better because you have, a, you are, let's say, manager and you have some people you are need to you need to lead. 
but if you are not good at speaking and presenting yourself, nobody will listen to you. So it means that you are not influential. So nothing's going to get done. And this community helps you to become a better speaker in whatever you want to do. And one of the things what they do is it's called like a showcase. So as a member, you are allowed to come in any region in the UK and do uh, as a, in my level, I can do 10 minutes. So 10 minutes showcase, so 10 minutes presentation, which is great because after they will give you a feedback, what they think, what to improve, which is great because where else can you go and get some feedback like that? Because, you know, it's like, I don't know that many speakers unless mm. I, until I join the PSA. <laughs> so, yeah. No, that, that, that's very true. I mean, if you do a speech like that among family or friends, they're typically going to say, oh, that was amazing. You were brilliant. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. Oh, you're so good. When you're doing it in front of other professional speakers, they're going to give you feedback that is actually going to be useful. Um, yeah. Can Can you share some of the feedback that you were given? Something that maybe was was helpful for you? Um, yeah. So um, one of the thing, my speech is with exercise. So I use the music to help to build the different states. And um, when I was doing the kind of sad state, I was trying to get people in the sad state. Basically my music was too loud and uh, because I was trying to m speak more quietly because it was obviously sad so I, I didn't want to shout mm -hmm. so but he said like sometimes it was difficult to understand and hear me because the music was a little bit on the louder side so and it's great because you don't realize it because when you speak you you hear yourself in here but there is someone in the back of the room and because of that music they wouldn't hear you necessarily um when I was doing the another state, it was much better because it was more about energy. And uh, so I was more loud, so that was okay. Another feedback, what I would get, I got some positive feedback, to be honest, that it was very good and uh, I had a good presentation. And um, another thing would help, they said like, also one person said like, I could slow down a little bit with the presentation. Mm. Uh, I tend to go a little bit faster. But <laughs> over there, I know I, I could go slower, but when I was try practicing at home and I recorded the video, it was 12 minutes yeah. and I wanted to do 12 minutes in 10. And actually when I looked back in the video, I went exactly 10 minutes. If I would go any slower, I wouldn't fit in the 10 minutes. I think they will let me continue, <laughs> but just because I knew I have 10 minutes, I just wanted to, you know, get, get it done. In. Yeah, yeah, get it, as much in. Um, so this, this particular talk then that you were doing, is this something you've already delivered or something you're going to be delivering? Yeah, so I delivered that uh, on my events uh, because my events, when I was running it, it was like for a full day. So this 10 minutes was just really taking, I don't know, one hour session just to kind of squeeze it in 10 minutes very quickly. So I've done it multiple times, yes. And I want to do it even more on uh, on stages for people. Uh, but I would prefer this at least like 45 minutes or one hour so I have uh, more time to you know do all the exercises I wanted. Yeah. Mm. And, and the feedback then that you got from the Professional Speakers Association, you're going to make changes in the way you've delivered that before to the way you deliver it next time. Yeah, yeah, I definitely take a few things in consideration. Some, even some of the feedback from speakers I got, and um, I was like, mm, okay, maybe he's having a point, but I don't see the point in my, where, where I'm taking it. So I don't take every feedback that it's good for me, because obviously not everybody knows who I'm targeting in, even if I mention it, uh, maybe some people misunderstood. 
And um, so, but some of the things I'll definitely take in consideration, like the volume of the sound and just to make sure that everybody can hear me clearly when I speak about uh, those things, yeah. Hmm. Okay. And the, the events that you run, uh, are these events that you organize yourself? I'm not running them anymore at the moment. I did run them this year and last year. Uh, last year, it was about property uh, because I have a business in property. And uh, this year it was about more like business and helping people to start their own business. But unfortunately, I'm not running them anymore. Not like that I do, wouldn't want to, I would want to, but it's very difficult to get people in the room, mm. uh, especially when, uh, let's say I'm nobody. So nobody knows my name, nobody knows me. So nobody. it's very difficult to get them in here and excited to come. And it doesn't matter if it's free or paid. It's just, uh, so I, I've, I've, I was thinking, okay, let's do a different approach. Let's get better in uh, speaking hang out with speakers and maybe from there I'm going to get some opportunity to speak on someone else's stage and uh, who's already built some audience and I can uh, bring some benefits to that, yeah. Hmm. No, that's a great problem, a, a common problem. I say it's a great problem, it's an awful problem. It's a common problem, isn't it, that when you're running events, it's getting people in the room and yeah. getting them to turn up as well. So what were you, what were you doing to fill the room? What, what sort of size events were they? Where were they based and, and how were you promoting them? Sure. So all of them were in Scotland, as I'm based in here. Uh, I did run a few events in Edinburgh, some in Glasgow, and also in different cities uh, in border in um, in Fife and like Dundee. And what I was doing just um, first of all, like organic marketing, just telling everybody about the event, all the social media platforms that I could. Also, I tried to invest in a marketing, like paid advertisement on the Facebook, just to get people to sign up. Even if it was for free, they just needed to sign up just for one pound. So I know that I have the details, I know they're coming. And after, um, and after basically they would turn up. But also problem with when something is for free or for a pound, people don't take it seriously. Yeah. So even I had, for example, the capacity was around 40 people always. And let's say I have 12 signups, but only two people came because the other 10 people says like, ah, oh, Saturday, ah, oh. it just was a one pound. I, I, I don't need to come because they are not invested. Um, yeah, they didn't invest any money. So yeah, it's just difficult to find what works the best. Yeah, I, I didn't mm. figure it out. <laughs> were, you, were you offering a, an incentive for them to come as well? So I did offer them like what they can learn, some benefits what they can get. Mm. Also, they will get the gift. Uh, so when they would come, they would get a, like a gift bag of things. I still have a boxes over here because <laughs> I <laughs> a lot. And uh, yes, and yeah, I don't know what else could I <clears throat> do. Yeah, yeah, it's di it's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult. Um, and I know when we run events, even when people are paying. Um, I mean, I think the the price we typically charge is ninety seven quid mm -hmm. for a one day event. Even mm -hmm. then, not everyone turns up. Yeah, which is yeah. I find that incredible that you pay a hundred pound for something mm. and not show up or forget about mm. it or not put it in your calendar. And we've had that almost every event we run that's ninety seven quid. There's at least one person doesn't turn up, mm. which I find shocking. Um, whereas, yeah, with the free events, if you have people who register for them you're probably going to get three or four of them out of 10 don't show up. Have, mm. you, have you tried any online events as well? Um, I did. Uh, when we were promoting the live event, we were hosting some webinars on a weekly basis. 
it was like live webinar so just to get people a little bit like who what is going to be the full event about so they are not coming to a blind so we've done like a two hours webinar with uh with a guy i was running these events and it was really good i really liked it it was interactive and uh, it was live it was enjoyable but again even to get people sign up for the webinar was difficult yeah. uh so yeah 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 yeah, no, yeah. Again, I've stopped doing webinars myself. Um, yeah. They still work. I just don't like it. I don't like the talking um, when you haven't got a, an audience in front of you. You get more energy off an audience in front of you, you know, as, as we yeah. speakers. No, you feed off the audience. And when you're just talking into a camera, it's yeah. it's soul-destroying, I find. Yeah. Um, but typically the stats with a webinar, we were getting, um, say, 100 people registered. You get about... Well, I think it's about 60 people turn up, about 60% show up rate, um, which again is a bit demoralizing that so few people do turn up. And you also yeah. get a drop off rate throughout the webinar as well. So hours we yeah. were running were 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then obviously there was an offer we were promoting in it, which started about one hour 10, one hour 12, something like that. And then every time mm-hmm. that offer started, you get a big drop off rate again. Mm. So people have got their free information, they've got what they wanted they're off um, yeah so did, what sort of length were your your webinars that you were running sorry can you repeat what what sort of length how long were the webinars you were running um so i did around few different ones so when i was doing a property webinars uh, last year so i was doing them like every week just people can join like i had this like a system so people could come there was always someone but it was just like one person three people five people seven it really depends it's you know i i I made some business from that, so hmm. it's fine. You know, it was fine. And um, so it was for one hour, this webinar. It was always for a certain topic and property. So I would just give, give them some value in uh, so they can learn different strategies. And I would give them or they would have a questions to ask. They are stuck somewhere, so I would help them with that. And um, do one for the event we ran, it was two hours. It's really long, I think. And now, yeah. actually, I created the webinar, which is automated. It's just with for people with some uh, business tips. And um, when I was speaking with a guy who is doing uh, all this marketing for me and all these funnels, so he he said that, you know, people, they don't stay one hour any longer. So he, he said I should shoot it maximum of 20 minutes. So I did shoot the automated webinar. It's, I think, like 18 minutes just like value, value, value. And after, if you want, you know, you just go and download my free app, which I have newly created. And uh, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see. <coughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, I've heard that before that um, people don't like the long webinars. I mean, we, as I say, we, we have had success with a 90-minute webinar. Um, mm-hmm. It We use a specific structure that we, we, we've created, which is part Russell Brunson, who did ClickFunnels, mm-hmm. and it's part a couple of other techniques as well. Um, where your sale or your offer starts after about an hour, hour 10. And you yeah. have three sections of value, three sections of 15-minute value. So there's at least 45 minutes worth of pure education within it. Mm-hmm. And and that does work. People do stay for that if they believe it's of value to them, if they believe they're going to get enough out of it. But there yeah. is also the, the school of thought for the short webinar, as you say, the 20-minute the, the or the 30-minute webinar, that people mm-hmm. are going to take more in a bite-sized chunk um, but we have found that during COVID, webinars were working really well mm-hmm. because pe- people couldn't go to events. Uh, but after COVID, 
the face-to-face events are, are, are better for us, certainly. And, and, and I imagine they're better for you as well because it, you get that interaction, you get that, that, that buy-in. Um, yeah. but, but one thing I think is important, as, as you mentioned, is about the credibility. You say you mm. want to uh, stand on more stages and do more talks and build more credibility because you're not well-known. But yeah. you are quite successful in property, I think it's fair to say. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what what is your property journey? What have you done? And, and what is it that you're showing of yourself that people would come along and, and hear you speak? Mm. So the thing it started, uh, I wanted to do property for a very long time since I was like 19. I read the uh, Robert Kiyosaki book, Reach Dad, Pull Dad. But after, uh, yes, I moved to UK and learned the language first. And um, I had limiting belief. I thought I need money to start investing in property because property is expensive. You need money. So I didn't start for a very long time. I started doing different business. I had a food truck and a, and cafe, but all this collapsed. And because I didn't know how to run a business, only thing would I know it was how to cook, but I didn't know anything else about business. So I failed and I lost a lot of money and uh, over a hundred thousand in the past 12 years. Wow. And uh, yeah. And uh, basically, but I learned from those things. And after one day I said like, enough is enough. And uh, there was a buyer listening actually Tony Robbins on YouTube. And uh, I said like, I'm starting this property journey in 2020, January. And it doesn't matter, I don't have the money, I'll figure it out. And we started with my business partner and uh, we figured it out and we raised finance from different people. We've done joint ventures. And I have to say now we have uh, two successful businesses in property so one is our service accommodation management company where we manage on other people airbnbs we have almost 50 um, units under um, management so it's you know really good turnover and cash flow for us and um, also we have a property sourcing business so we help to find those property deals for our investors so and this one it's really good as well i was just sharing that somewhere uh, it's just in two years we we sold for over a hundred thousand pound in fees for us, and um, and for me it's very good because the thing is it's not my main focus this property sourcing I just do it on the side, and uh, it can bring really good cash as well and cash flow to your business, and um, yeah and I decided to coach people on the, those strategies so they can learn and basically I'm really helping them with in here with their mindset because. Mm. It's not about, you know, the money or your time or there's nothing to do with that. It's about if you if you really want to do it. So there is always a way. And uh, but people get stuck uh, in their job and they are afraid to take some step forward because they feel like they'll make a mistake and they'll fail. And what other people think about and all those limiting beliefs they have. So I'm helping them to break them. And uh, so they they will accomplish whatever they want to accomplish. Yeah, Mm. That's brilliant. So you've got two separate property businesses one is yes. serviced accommodation managing other people's properties and one is property sourcing so you're finding deals for property investors yes. both of mm-hmm. those businesses pay you the property sourcing business is just a part-time venture which yeah. generated 100 grand last year is that right and last two years so this year actually we already sold almost 20 deals so this year we are almost six thousand, which is very good I mean, I don't need to do much about it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just me organizing so the, things. And uh, you it's know, not a bad part-time it. business, is it? It's not a bad part-time. <laughs> yes. yes. And, and your main focus is the service accommodation where you manage how many properties, do you say? 50. 
50 properties of other people. So I think the important thing to get across with those two businesses, you're sourcing deals, you're sourcing properties, you're managing 50 units, but you don't own mm. any of them. No, uh, we do own some, yeah, but not many, not, not many. So you'll basically have a, a property business that's paying you money yeah. and you've not necessarily needed to actually raise finance to invest in property because you don't have to. Yes, exactly. I never needed to use any of my own money when I started because I never had them. I mm. was in debt. So every deal that we've ever done in property, it was either raised finance or with people who have money and they are afraid to do it themselves. So it's like a joint venture. So I have the knowledge, I know how to find those deals and they have the money and we put it together and we go 50-50. So it's one either this or the raising finance. So I pay people interest. So you usually give them 10% a year on their money, which is better than in the bank. So they're happy to invest with me. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's let's take a step back because what, what you said at the beginning there, I, I think is, is worth exploring more and getting across for people to listen to. So when you first started, you knew how to cook, but you didn't know how to run a business. And you said you ended yeah. up losing a, a hundred grand yeah. in money. What what yeah. happened? What did you try to do, and what went wrong? So basically, I, uh, you know, I didn't know how the business works. I didn't know that I need to kind of market myself, you know, which is big part actually. Mm. I wasn't able to get on the um, with my food truck on the festivals where other people could get because I was really focused on my food. I was like, I was cooking food from my country, from Czech Republic, like goulash and schnitzels and all those things, which were really good and people really liked them when they tried them, but it was very difficult for them to try. And um, and uh, and basically I've seen like people, I, I spoke with someone and I was like, how long did you prepare for this three days event? And he said like half a day. And he sold food in three days for 2000 pounds. And I prepared for three days and I sold for thousand pounds. I'm like, so something doesn't work because I was so focused on this quality of the food and of my product. I was cooking it for so long and uh, and I thought like people will buy it, you know, but I didn't know what people want in here. And I thought I might, I can maybe change people, but you cannot change Scottish people with their eating habits. You can't. <laughs> yeah. So I was on the wrong path, but the other people were giving people and making business and they were giving them what they wanted. And I was giving them what I wanted them to eat. So it was very different. Also, another thing which I've done really wrong, because I used to be a chef in the restaurant for a few years. And uh, so I become very fast. So my prep, that's why my prep took three days, because my service was very fast. So I never had the cues. I barely had the cues because when somebody came, I could take five orders at the same time and serve them in three minutes because... It was everything very prepped because in the kitchen you need to be 90% of preparation and 10% of service. This is the easy part. But all the other people with the food trucks, most of them, they've never been the chefs or they never worked in the restaurants. So they didn't have that much prep. And when somebody came, they took one order and they started to cook this order by order, maximum two orders, and they had the queues. And when you come to festival, you go, usually people go where the queue is because it seems like it's better food. <laughs> so... Mm. Yeah, it was another thing. Yeah, so a lot of things like that I didn't know. Yeah, no, I've never thought of that. Yeah, because it because you're so good, you were prepared and so fast. It looked like your food wasn't very good because there were no cues. Yeah. That that's exactly just, that's yeah. just insane. So you're a victim oh. of your own success, basically. Yeah, 
Yeah, so I was trying to slow down in, in times when I found out. I was like, okay, I need to go slower. But I didn't know how because it was in me like, okay, there is a person, he's waiting, serve it as quickly as you can because I knew how. And uh, yeah, so that was one of my actually disadvantages at the end when I found out, yeah. Mm. And it, it's a similar method for running events as well. If you've got events that have loads of people in them and you've got videos and photographs of loads of people at your events mm. and people being turned away, more yeah. people are going to want to come. Because it's like, well, why are so many people going, going to his event? Why are so many people doing this? I've got to be there. It's that good. Yeah. Whereas if yeah. you've got an event where there's no queues, there's nobody there, mm. it's going to be almost impossible to sell more people in because I think well, nobody wants to be here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So what what yeah. made you decide then that right, this food truck, it's not happening. I need to go away and do something else. And property was mm. the thing. So there was a point in 2019 when I was running the, uh, I didn't run the, I, the food truck as much, but I had a unit in Glasgow, which was like, I built a unit, which was street food and it was doing really well. I had uh, three members of staff, they were changing and it was making me nice, I think thousand pound, 1500 pound profit for me without me needing to be in there, which was very good. After I had, I was uh, also having a unit in um, Highlands for a season and uh, it also was going really well. And basically, in uh, somewhere in August or September, my accountant told me that I need to register for VAT because I'm I am I crossed the threshold of eighty five thousand. I'm like, all right, that's fine. So what do we need to do? So she said, what do we need to do? I'm like, okay. So I wanted to increase my prices in this units of this twenty percent, so I can still keep the income. But the owners of this warehouse told me that I can't because it's going to be too expensive for a street food meal. So people wouldn't buy it as much. So I, sh I can do that. And because I couldn't change the prices because of them, I went from 1500 pounds plus to around 1000 minus because of the VAT, because you cannot climb anything on a VAT on food because VAT is zero, but you need to charge VAT. So it's really a ridiculous system for people who have a small business. So I, that's why I see very often, like when you have a cafes, a lot of cafes, like in the smaller cities, they they just take cash because they know they would get to VAT very quickly and uh, it they wouldn't make any money. So because of that, in three months of being VAT registered, I found out that I need to pay £8,000 on a VAT, but I didn't have those money. So I, I was like, so it's not going to work with this food, food business. I wanted to scale it and I thought I'm in the right path, but now the VAT came and it destroyed me totally. So I decided to close those units and I opened a new cafe under a new business. I bought the cafe in, uh, in uh, Berwick up on Tweet. Again, I didn't have any money. I made a deal with the owner that I'll be paying her monthly from the income from the cafe and she agreed. So no money down buying cafe actually. And, uh, but it was 2019 in September. So I was running only for six months and after I was shut down by COVID and I had to sell the cafe and lost money again, yeah. Wow. Do you know that that VAT problem is, is something I see a lot where, where businesses, they they teeter on the threshold and as soon as they go over the threshold, it, it it properly disables them because they obviously have to increase the prices, which means they're going to lose customers. Yeah. And, and they're going to end up costing money. So I, I hear the advice from accountants all the time. When you get towards the VAT threshold, you don't want to just go over it. You need to smash through it. You need to yeah. absolutely smash through it or yeah. stay under it, as you say. Yeah with some restaurants taking cash only and doing it the 
not authorized way but obviously yeah. you you didn't do that obviously and no nobody listening to this would actually do that but yeah that that that's that's the way the way it is yeah. so when mm. so when what made you then think right property i've got no money i've lost all this money what i need to do yeah. now is build a big property portfolio Yes. Yeah, because I wanted to build this property portfolio for a very long time because I, I read all these books, not only this, but I read all the books from Robert Kiyosaki and from others. Mm. And um, so I, I had so much knowledge in me already. I'm like, I need to start applying it. But only I had this limiting belief for a very long time that I need money. But after uh, I was like, no, no, you don't need money. It's just one of the things what Tony Robbins says. It's never a lack of resources. It's a lack of resourcefulness. I'm like, mm. okay, so I need to become more resourceful. Okay, let's let's find the money. So I was going. We found the first house, which was for twenty-two thousand. It was through auction. It was a ruin, and uh, and we won it through the auction. And after we had twenty-eight days to come up with twenty-nine thousand two hundred, and we didn't have this money. So it was the <laughs> hardest or hardest hardest twenty-eight days in in my life. Pretty much. Was, was was this in Edinburgh? This house? No, no, no. It's in Durham. Oh, in Durham, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't buy in Edinburgh that cheap. But <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't think you could. No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we, we at the end, we came up with this money, and it was, I think, the last. We we still needed like fifteen thousand, and it was very difficult because I was going for meeting after meeting with friends and friends and friends, because this is where you start when you are raising finance. But I didn't know how to do it, so I I, I made it wrong. I learned it later on how to do it properly, but. The, the, but people reactions i explained them my idea what i want to do and how i will give them the interest and when they will get the money back and they were like haven't you been working in a restaurant just you know two months ago you know during the winter and you are a new waiter or chef or anything like that i'm like yes i was but i'm changing it now and they just laughed at me and they wouldn't lend me money and um but at the end i found people People I thought they don't have money, so they had money. People I thought they have money, they didn't have money. <laughs> so, uh, so the other way around. And um, and we bought this first house. And after we needed uh, another money for refurbishment, which was in total actually at the end forty three thousand. But we had time for that because the builders were doing the work, so we can every week like raise a few thousand pounds. So it wasn't like a rush right away when you need the money to buy the property because otherwise you would lose it through auction. And um, and like that, we finished the first house in September 2020, and also a couple more houses in that year, uh, which was like lease option agreements. It's a different strategy, but um, so that's how we we started, yeah, with raising finance from other people, yeah, yeah. So the, the, this first house that you bought, then you bought it for twenty nine, did you say? So yeah, altogether the investment was seventy four. So that's a lot of refurbishment. It was a lot of refurbishment, yes. It was so like did everything. you did you refinance and keep it, or did you did you sell it? Yeah, so that was another funny story. We wanted to refinance and keep it because this was we wanted to build a portfolio, and we used three different brokers, and uh, we've not been able to get the finance for that. And there was a lot of different issues: first-time landlords, not experienced landlords, a lot of those things. Also, because we are foreigners, it's uh, also less lenders for us if you are a foreigner. Another thing was we've been employed by the same company and uh, not really paying ourselves any, any salaries or a very minimum on the paper, and uh, they didn't like it. So there was a lot of issues, and we were trying to get the finance for a year and a half, and we didn't get it. We were trying broker after broker. We pay multiple valuations, and we didn't get it. So after we were like, okay, probably this house is not meant to be for us. So we sold it for 104000 So we sold it with profit. But... 
On the other hand, because it was taking longer than expected, we had to pay our investors more money back because obviously we were keeping their money for longer. So the profit wasn't that huge, but the thing is it was great experience. We learned so much. I know how to, not that I know how to do it, but I've seen how to refurbish house from literally like everything, like from damp roofing, walls, rendering, like everything I've seen on that house, which was really good first time experience, yeah. Okay, so you made a small profit from it then, and I take it you immediately went in and did another one? Yeah, 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 we went right away to find two other houses which were like a house which you can buy a house for a pound, it's like mm-hmm. lease option agreement, and uh, they both needed around five, six thousand pounds to refurbish them. So we found actually one house, the joint venture partner for that, and the other house we raised the finance from someone. So we've done those ones and just rented them out, and we had um, those three houses at this stage. Yeah, in the first year we ma- we managed to get to one thousand pound cash flow, which was good, but it was kind of slow. Yeah. Hmm. So what was the stage then that you, you managed to ramp it up? What what was the catalyst that, that caused that? When we've been able to get the other houses? Yeah, when, or... when your business went from £1,000 a month cash flow to to okay. actually exploding, what was it that, that made that change for you? Uh, actually, the big I have to say a big thank you to my coach. I have hired a coach um, for myself, and I was... Um, basically applying things more and more. And I was working on myself more than just on learning about property business. It wasn't a property coach. It was like a coach from Tony Robbins team. And uh, and they helped me to understand things that I need to work on myself and also different things like self-development. So in that year, I hired her uh, in February, 2021. I worked with her for a year. And in that year, we accomplished to get from 1,000 pound a month to 4,000 pound a month in the next year so it really helped us to you know you know we were taking a different approach different actions and it really helped us to move to the next level in the in the next year yeah mm. and obviously investing in coaches is a big step not everybody's yeah. willing to make that step because most people in business think they know it all anyway yes. um yeah. so what made you invest in that coach? What made you believe that she was the person that could help? And and, and can I ask as well what, what the fee was? Mm-hmm. Sure. So the thing is, I, as I said, I was doing the property business for one year uh, with my business partner, a year and two months without any help. I've done only one training for £1,000 and it wasn't very good. And it was really basics, which everything I read in the book, so I, it was not very, very good. And after... Um, because I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins, I've done uh, some uh, course with them, one, one course, online course. So I was like, okay, so what could help me to scale the business? Because I don't feel like I need more property knowledge. I need more like to be working on myself with certain times of like taking action, being um, you know more prepared for different things, uh, learning communicating skills and all those things. So. I've hired her and uh, I didn't have the money as well. I had to pay it in uh, three or four installments. It was $5,000 uh, for uh, one year coaching with them. Okay. We have like half an hour sessions, but they you know, really helped me to understand how to work on myself and really a lot of different tools, which were some of the tools I'm using even with my clients because they are so good. And, um, and it, it really helped me to get to the next level with my business partner and we realized every time we invested money into some education so we went to the next level 
So we already invested in the past four years over £50,000 into ourselves in terms of education, coaches, trainings. And every time we go, we learn something, we apply and we make more money, more business. Hmm. That, well, that's the key, isn't it? The more you invest in yourself, the better you become. Yeah. So what what um, what coaches are you investing in now? Who, who are you using or who have you used other than Tony Robbins and his team? So recently, a few months ago, I have uh, joined a new coach and it was from Brandon Bouchard. So, yeah, so Brandon Bouchard has, a, you know, his own coaches and uh, he's based in the USA. And uh, basically it's called High Performance Coaching. They have a, also a book about it. And uh, we are going through different things uh, from that, how to be in a high performance person, basically. So it's kind of challenging, to be honest. I didn't expect it's going to be that hard <laughs> because every session, we have a session every week, which is for one hour. And after we have a homework, which needs to, you need to do. And um, you need to listen to other audios and other homeworks to fill up. So, and I have a lot of new things on the walls and everywhere, things which uh, holds me to be accountable and working on myself. And um, I have to say, you know, we, we are growing uh, quite a lot recently. And uh, yeah, we are creating a very good business. Just this week, we are adding two new properties under management. And uh, I don't need to be uh, any of those. Uh, it's just all systemized. That's the key systemization is the key yeah yeah because if you're doing it all yourself you've just got yourself a very stressful job yes exactly yeah so the the coaches you've mentioned there then they obviously tony robbins is american and uh brenda brichard is american yes. um so obviously they're not teaching you property because no. the property rules in america are very very different they're teaching you business um are you've have you done any property coaching as well or is that something uh, you're learning yourself I've just done one uh, training, which was uh, with Samuel Leeds in uh, London for four days. It was never use your own money again. So it was about, you know, those um, more like these strategies, which you need to more think about and you need to raise the finance and do those deals like rent to rent deals. So I've been on that training. It was very good. It was good in the point that I realized because at that point I had only won this deal, rent to rent, and I realized why don't I have more? And it really helped me to get four more deals in the next four months. And from there we grew a lot. So mm -hmm. it was like for me a realization point and also seeing like 120 other people which they want to accomplish the similar things and made a lot of different connections. So really good for networking uh, any of those events. Mm -hmm. So that was only training in property I've done actually uh, because it's the thing is the property knowledge you know the property world it's not difficult i'm saying it to everybody who's signing up with my coaching i'm telling them that we're not going to be talking that much about property because i believe what again tony robin says that 80 percent of success is in your head and 20 percent is the skills and i've seen a lot of people they've done the trainings they have the skills they have the knowledge but they are not applying it so the problem is not with the skill with the knowledge the problem is with their head with their mindset and uh, pretty much all the information what they what people sell on the trainings very often it's online you can google it everything it's gonna take you some time because it's not condensed like in the training but the thing is it's not the knowledge what stops the people it's to taking the action and doing actually things and um yeah i wrote a book which is like from failure too and that is like eight steps about this rent to rent service accommodation strategy there's everything written about the strategy how i do it and how we get the deals 
And after somebody signed up for my coaching anyway, because the thing is they have the knowledge in the book, but they are not doing anything about that. So they need help. They need accountability. They need those uh, weekly calls to give, tell them what exactly needs to, they need to do like step-by-step because on their own, it's sometimes difficult. Yeah. And that is the key word you use there. I think accountability. Yeah. You need the accountability because if if you go to a lot of trainings, you 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 read a lot of books, you you watch a lot of videos on on how to do anything really, you'll find that it's similar stuff. I know this, I know that, I know I need to be doing that, but I'm yeah. just not doing it. Yeah. And it's that accountability, it's having that coach there, that mentor that is, quite frankly, going to kick your ass. <laughs> kick your yeah. ass and go what well, h- how many calls have you made this week how many landlords have you approached how many property owners have you approached yeah. how many agents have you made offers to oh mm-hmm. i haven't done any at well that's what you need to be doing it's that requirement that that, that understanding that you can't turn up for a call six days or seven days from now and not having done anything yeah yeah that's what it's all about that's what it's all about yeah. so let, yeah. let, let's let's talk the, the exciting bit then so you you've, you've wasted a hundred grand on a business that didn't work you bought a property that ended up costing you 70 odd grand but you made a few thousand pounds in profit from it you then bought yeah. a few more you went to samuel leeds's training where the concept of rent to rent i think it was the first time that you you'd heard that concept uh, I heard it online uh, yeah. from him, and we've been able to secure one deal like that. We had one deal for three, four months, yeah. and after I went to his training, and uh, yeah, and on the training, I just discovered why don't I have more deals like that? Because there was a guy, and he stood up, and he was like, "I have ten rent-to-rent deals, and it's bringing me that much," mm. and I had one. And the only thing why I had only one is because I wanted to see if it works and if it's making money. And after we checked, I was like, "Yeah, it's clearly making money, like five hundred pound a month." So why do we not have more? Because we need um, we need bigger cash flow. Hmm. So there was this realization, and uh, and we started to get more of those deals. Yeah. yeah, that's what it's about, isn't it? You'd already done it, you knew it worked, and it's like, why haven't I done more of it? Yeah, that yeah. guy's done ten. What? What? Yeah. Why haven't I done it? I know I'll do it. Wow. Yeah. So where are you now? You said you've got fifty properties being managed yes. under the service accommodation business. How many of those yes. do you own yourself? So we do have three deals from that as a service accommodations, it's ours, but the rest is everything is sourced and passed to investors and we just manage for them. Yeah, I have a lot of investors from my own country, from Czech Republic. So I have actually a waiting list of people. I always take them on a bespoke, they pay me upfront. And after once we have a deal, we just sell it to them and we, we manage it for them. Yeah. <laughs> You have a waiting list of investors. Yes, that's a lovely position to be in, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Th- th- these properties, let, let let's talk figures for these. How much are these properties generating in terms of revenue on a monthly basis? For us, you mean? Mm. Or for investor? Well, f- for you, How, in terms of people coming in and using the service accommodation, the Airbnbs, mm-hmm. the booking.coms, however they're being run, how much is that generating as a business on a monthly basis? So around 20,000, it's a pound a month, it's a turnover, yeah, we do for our business. Uh, we take in those 50 apartments, uh, we take over a million a year to our account. And this year we cross, I think, 
I don't know, 3 million, which came on our account. But after from that, we pay the money to our investors. We just keep the management fee, which is 18% plus VAT. So we keep from that money, 18% plus VAT, this, the turnover for us, which is around 20,000 pounds a month for us. The turnover, obviously we have staff costs and all, or we have people mm. working for us. Yeah, so yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty much it, yeah. You see, there's going to be people listening to this thinking, hang on, that, that doesn't make sense. Because you, you own three properties in this. And if you owned three buy-to-lets, because I've, I've got buy-to-lets, for example, if you own three oh, yeah. buy-to-lets, you might be making, let's say they're in a good area. Maybe you're making £1,000 a month. That's mm. £1,200 a year. That's £3,600. That's not right. That's, hang on, £1,000, £12,000. That's thirty six grand a year just in mm. rent on three buy-to-lets. Mm. That obviously doesn't include your mortgages costs and all, and all the other stuff that you're going to pay out on that. Yeah. But you own three properties and you've turned over more than 1.2 million. No, not with those three properties. I mean, no, I, no the... that's, that, that's, oh, yeah, I know, I know, that's, that's the thing. You only own yes. three, yet you've yes. turned over 1.2 million. That's what people yes. need to understand. You don't need to invest in a buy-to-let. You don't need to buy a property with a mortgage the conventional way save up your um to get a 70 percent mortgage or an 80 percent mortgage because it's a slow Mm. process yeah it's a slow process if you're getting money through rent and you're saving it up to make a deposit to buy another buy to let you're maybe buying one every two years or every three years and it's really really slow and tiresome to do you own three Mm. but you look after 50. Mm. It really depends what people want. So when there is someone, they have their job and they really enjoy what they are doing and have mm. a, let's say, high-paying job and they really enjoy it and they, they know they see themselves doing that for a very long time and they just want to create the pension pot and they know that the property is a good investment uh, because it grows on value. So for them, it's fine because they buy every three years, as you mentioned, and they are okay with that because they know that it's somewhere saved in a property estate, which is good. But if somebody wants to create a business and wants to grow a little bit faster, so this approach is very slow, as you mentioned, so that not necessarily works. So people, I see like a lot of people, they are like, yeah, I have a 20 year experience. And I ask like, yeah, how many properties you have? And it's like five. And how many properties you've seen in your in 20 years? It's like, I don't know, 10 and I bought five. I was like, yeah, I've seen a thousand properties in four years because I've been on so many viewings. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes they feel like, if you are older, you have more experience. There's nothing to do with that. No. And uh, yeah, so it really depends what you are after. So a lot of my clients, they are after financial freedom. So it's really different for everybody. But let's say between two to 5,000 pounds a month. And this is what I'm helping them. So our goal in a year time is to help me them to get them to this two, three, four thousand pounds a month in those strategies. Because in the normal buy to buy strategies, it's, it's not possible really unless you have a good big budget and you can buy a lot of properties right away in that case they wouldn't need me but if they 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 don't have much money and they want to start so i help them there because i help them with the things what i'm doing yeah raising Mm -hmm. finance ventures and doing these strategies which are more like for cash flow yeah Mm. you see that that, that's the big myth in, in property investing in the property game oh you have to have money to invest in property you can't invest in property unless you have money well yeah you can. You don't yes, need you money. Can. You've got 47 properties you don't even own, and you're earning over, and you've generated over a million pounds in the last year yeah. through the properties. Yes. Which is a real eye opening thing, I think, for people to listen to. 
because the yeah. conventional way, as I say, of buying and holding and buying again and buying again, it is just really slow and tedious. And of course, with the way you do standard buy to let now, any landlords listening to this will know that you used to be able to claim the interest only mortgage payments against your tax. Yes. Now you can't. Now, if you rent a house for 500 quid a month and your mortgage is 500 quid a month, you're paying tax on all of it, even though mm -hmm. there's no profit whatsoever. So you're, you're down, you're losing money. Whereas if you're doing it your way, that's not a problem. Yes. Yeah. There is no issue. There's no issue, yeah. Even when people have a buy to let and they buy it through the company, they, they can climb back the mortgage payments. So yeah. only when they bought it under their name, which a lot of people they bought in the past because mm. they wouldn't, they've been recommended to do that and they, they do, wouldn't see that why not. But now, you know, transfer it from personal name to limited company, obviously it costs some money, yeah. Yes, it does, yeah. And you, you've got, I mean, we've got both. I've got personal properties and we've got stuff through a limited company as well. We haven't transferred any into the limited company because as you say, there's, there's a big cost with that. Yeah. The, the other issue, which many people won't know about if they haven't done it, is if you own property in a limited company, it has to be revalued each year and you pay mm -hmm. tax on the increase in the value of the property even though mm. you haven't earned that money, mm. it's not money you own. You still have to pay tax on it, which is a ridiculous yeah. situation, which is why so many landlords are realizing that buy-to-lets financially don't work unless mm. they can increase the rents to such a level that it makes it work. And then the tenants don't like the landlords because they think they're money-grabbing bastards that are trying to steal money off them. And it's not their fault. Yeah. They have to increase the rents. If they can't do that, the only mm. option left to them is either to sell it, which many of them can't do because they don't have the equity in it, mm. or hand it over to somebody like you to run it as a serviced accommodation. Yes. Mm -hmm. Where they can get the rent that they want, not have to deal with the tenant, and the property is looked after to a high standard by yeah. someone else, you. And there's no estate yeah. agents. There's no tenants. There's no problems. So... Mm. For, I presume then this is one of your targets, landlords out there that have just had enough. Yeah. They've had enough of it and they want someone to take over the property, look after it for mm. them, give them the rent guaranteed every month and the property to be looked after. Is that right? Yes, that's absolutely right. Yeah. There's a lot of benefits for the landlord, basically. Sometimes I don't understand why the landlords don't want to do it because <laughs> it's, it's really beneficial for them. Like you mentioned, they have no problems with especially tenants because a lot of people had the problems with tenants in the past that you cannot evict them very easily you can lose money so with us you know we have a different contract so if you, we wouldn't pay the rent they can kick us out right away we are not bound by any ast contract so we don't have any um protection by you know government or anything like that and uh, and you said like the properties look after because there is people coming every three days two days five days so there is a cleaners and they will clean it to high standard because it needs to be high standard because it's service accommodation. And if there is any issue, they point down to the issue and we can fix it right away so it doesn't get to the worst issue. Because when I had the house, and actually we still have this house, and the tenant, he's not taking care about the property. He's like really messy. But, mm. you know, what shall I tell him? Like clean, you know, clean your mess. <laughs> and when we've been there for inspection, like the wall is getting really moldy and he wouldn't tell us for six months. And now it's to fix it like that. It's much more costly if I would know after the two weeks time, right? So it's really beneficial for landlords. Yeah. What are yes. your plans to grow it? How big can it get? Hmm. Very big. Very big. <laughs> you, so, you look uh, excited when you said that. Very, very big. Now we have a huge plans and uh, 
So I would like to get in the next 12 months to 100 units, so to double it up in the next 12 months. And we are actually working and we are creating uh, our own channel manager. Channel manager is something which links all the properties together uh, in terms of booking. So that is booking from Airbnb, let's say, but also booking from booking.com. And somebody needs to link it so it doesn't get double bookings, basically. And there are three parties channel managers, and we use one of them. But the thing is, there are sometimes issues and things like that. So at the moment, we are building this software, and it's gonna. Uh, I want to release it in the next year, actually a year from now, uh, because it takes some time to build it and test it. So that's the next step, because it's also a product which we can offer to people. They can use, because we see what are mistakes with the channel managers we are currently using, and so we want to avoid them and make it better. And another thing is, two years from now, I would like, with my business partner, that we will become a booking platform. So like Airbnb and booking.com, so we will take it to the next level. So people can upload their properties through us. Um, we are working also on an app development uh, for the phones. And basically, they can use us. And again, there will be benefits for the investors to be with us. We'll give them better rates. And also for people staying with us again. So this is where we, we want to take this company at the moment. Yeah. Wow. I've got to be honest, I've spoken to a lot of people in service accommodation. I've never heard anyone say, I'm developing my own channel manager. Yeah, okay. Because they are expensive to use, aren't they? They are expensive, and you, they've got limitations. Each one has its own little foibles. Um, yeah. You're developing your own. Uh, is that you, or is your business partner, or, or do you have software no, developers? We have, no, we have someone who is doing that. Yeah, we, 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 we are not techie, really techie. So we have someone who is doing that for us, yeah. Fantastic. And this is an obvious, I'm sure you are. I take it you're going to be going for um, R&D tax relief on this channel manager when you've developed it. Hmm, I'm not sure, actually not sure about that. I didn't oh. check this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, well, this is going to be exciting for you then. Um, any costs implicated with developing this channel manager so that the money you're paying the developer, the research on different channel managers, you can claim any of that expenses back in R&D tax relief? Oh, okay, okay. No, I know what you mean. Okay, okay, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. No, very good, yeah. Okay, yeah, a lot cool. of people, a lot of people don't know, do yeah. it. A lot of people don't mm-hmm. do it because they don't know it's a thing. We've just developed our own um, con- um, CRM, our own mm-hmm. client relationship manager, mm-hmm. which has cost something like 30 grand mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we've claimed back uh, against R&D tax relief on that the costs implicated with doing that um, it, it's mm-hmm. the money's there it's quite a simple process to do um, mm-hmm. anyone that's done any sort of research and development within their business is able to make this claim back you can either speak mm-hmm. to your accountants about it if, if they mm-hmm. know some accountants don't know about it because they're not expert mm-hmm. in it or you can use mm-hmm. an R&D claims company there's loads of those about and they'll manage mm-hmm. the claim for you they'll take a mm-hmm. percentage if they do it yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So if your okay, accountant's thanks. good or you're good with your tax, then you could do it yourself and not pay mm-hmm. an R&D claims company. Mm-hmm. But it is simple. The money's there and it gets paid straight to you. And you can go back, I think it's three years, three, four years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, even if your it. R&D project doesn't work, even mm-hmm. if you develop something and you decide, actually, that's it's not work, we're not going to use it, we're going to stick with the channel manager, you can still claim back the cost of, of mm-hmm. developing it. Okay, good. Perfect. Thank you for yeah. letting me know. I'll definitely point it out to my accountant. So she's prepared for that when it comes to it. Yeah. I believe she, she, she she's really good. She just actually sent us the tax uh, 
the how much we should pay the corporation tax for the last hmm. the first year of this company and it was very good yeah. she, she yeah she climbed what she could back so i was very <laughs> happy so you were good. happy it's always good when your accountant sends you what you got to pay oh that's good i wasn't expecting that low yeah, yeah. you stick the yes. r d in that they might end up paying you yes that that that's even better that's what i want yeah could could happen <laughs> could happen fantastic right so you obviously help other people get to where you are now if somebody mm. wants to get in touch with you about how they can do what you do, or if there is a, a landlord in the uh, Edinburgh area, I take it predominantly is where you're looking for Edinburgh and Scotland. All the UK. We have apartments in England as well, everywhere. Oh, fantastic. In which case, if there is a landlord listening to this thinking, do you know what? My tenants are absolute bastards. I've mm. had enough of this. I can't afford to sell my property and I don't want to be doing this buy to let shit anymore the idea of what he said is I, someone else can look after it it can be decorated to a high standard clean regularly no tenants i get paid i love it how can they get in touch with you yeah so i think the easiest way is to go to my website i have a website is my name at the moment so www.vincenthovorka.com and uh, or also you can find me on any social media platform and there is a button where they can book a call with me it's cool. and uh, it's a half an hour call so we can discuss and for people who wants to start their own business they can do the same thing but if they would like to know me a little bit more i have actually we have a, i have a new app developed and i'm giving that a lot of free things which they can do like the rent and service accommodation course uh, audiobook and they call it's called action taker so they can just go on apple pay and uh, play and just down check action taker they will see my face there and they can download they can start playing with the app and learn start learning things and if they would like to know more so they can again book a call through the app with me fantastic and i will put those links uh for the app and for the website and I'll, I'll put in your contact details as well below the mm -hmm. podcast so that will be in the description of the podcast uh on apple spotify various other pl platforms as well as below the youtube video as well so if anybody wants to get in touch with you just look down below this podcast below this video and you will see all of those links as well <laughs> thank thank you very much for recording this podcast I, i've loved this i love speaking to people who've who've made a massive success with property, particularly when they've not even spent their own money doing it. it, it it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So you are an inspiration. Thank you. And yeah, hopefully you me. I, I'll see you at the next Professional Speakers Association meeting, maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We will see each other, yeah? Yes, Absolutely. fantastic. Thank you very much.